0: Back to Buckeye Talk, Stephen Mees, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. And it's another rapid fire. I think it's you know, just trying to keep the textures engaged. 614-350-3315. So maybe every couple of weeks we'll do a rapid fire for the big pot. Just to keep guys engaged, just to get a you know a, a temperature on what you guys are thinking about. So just off the bat, from the 567, good mixture of football and a couple. I wouldn't call them nonsense. I would just say other because they're not all nonsense. Some of them are actually intriguing questions. But from the 567. What are the chances that Ryan Day is playing checkers with his play calling? And I think that's a side eye at what we've seen from the play calling some, so far, because typically, obviously, you say it's, you're playing chess, not checkers, when you're thinking three or four steps ahead. I think this person is just is questioning Ryan Day's play calling through two weeks Coming off of the Georgia game where it felt like we were getting explosive,
2: angry Ryan Day. And maybe maybe they don't feel that's happening in the first two, two games. I think he is, but I think it's intentional. I understand there is a standard at Ohio State. I understand there is a standard for win-loss. There is a standard for quarterback play. There is a standard, especially over these last handful of years, of what the offense should look like. Well, you lost a first round left tackle or a first round tackle in uh, Paris Johnson. You lost another NFL tackle in Dewan Jones. You lost a top two quarterback and you're starting a new quarterback. Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, like I know he didn't play a whole heck of a lot last year, but he's not in the offense anymore. Like you still have great receivers. Um, but y- when you lose guys like that, you lose Luke Whipler. Like you lose guys like that. You can't just expect guys that are in their second year who have never started before. You know, like you can't expect Carson Hinsman to show up and immediately be, okay, this dude is already a mid-round NFL draft pick. You can't expect, you know, Josh Simmons coming over and restarting his college career, basically with Ohio State and be like, oh, he's Paris Johnson now. And I think it's the same thing with Kyle McCord. Like anybody who thought that Kyle McCord like immediately should walk out there and be you know, Dwayne Haskins, 2018, CJ Stroud, Justin Fields. I think that they're kind of mistaken. So, I I don't know. I, I just think that they're growing into this offense. I think we've talked about this with the quarterbacks a lot. You got to figure out what you are. You know, you've got to figure out how you can run your offense effectively. Certain guys do certain things better, and and it doesn't make them better or worse. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that they do. Some guys do certain things better. Some guys do certain things worse. And you got to figure out what this offense's identity is. And I think that they're slow playing a little bit. And I do think that they're going to kind of break out of it a little bit against Notre Dame, because you can't just expect the same level of production every, like you can't just continually grow, 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 because that's unrealistic. That's, that's never going to happen, especially when you lose the talent. So yeah, I I think that they are kind of playing, you know, maybe a little bit slower paced or not slower pace, but they're, they're slow playing it a little bit. I think that they are, maybe not calling everything. I think that they're trying to simplify. But I think that that's intentional. It's it's not like a Ryan Day's coaching scared again or Ryan Day's doing this again or whatever. I think this is kind of them realizing we've got a whole lot of new on this offense. And yeah, there's a lot of talent there, but we've got a lot of new at really important positions and we're going to work them along. And then when the time is right, we're going to break it out again.
1: Yeah, I I definitely took this question too as to be less, are they just playing around or are they not being aggressive, I, th- I, I took it to be are they holding back intentionally? <laughs> are they are they playing a more basic game in lieu of getting fancy and opening this whole thing up? And I think probably to some extent that's definitely true and it probably should be. Like, why would you put anything on film that you think would be advantageous against you against Notre Dame? There's nothing that you could have accomplished by scoring more points against Indiana or Western Kentucky or Youngstown so far that would have made it worth losing the Notre Dame game. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you should just, I would probably have gone into these games, keeping it pretty basic, keeping it pretty vanilla, knowing that your talent is going to win out against Indiana and young sound state for sure if you go out and execute that that basic stuff and that's obviously fluctuated a little bit especially when it comes to the run game but they're they're getting it done they, they've won those games I think it probably is true that Ryan day has held something back but I think the bigger concern is the lack of execution in some key places within these these first couple games and it's not really not being fancy enough I don't think that has held Ohio State back I think it's just you know whatever they're they're, they're converting, whatever, 25% of third and three or, or shorter, like that's that's just stupid. And I know it's only two games, but it's also two games against Indiana and Youngstown State. Like that's not where Ohio State needs to live. And do I think that being a little bit more creative on some of those third downs will help and being more willing to pass on third downs will help? Yes. I also think these are the two games where if you want to be stubborn and make a point about your run game, you can do it. I don't think you're costing yourself anything. It's just a matter of does this experience Help you beat Notre Dame in two weeks.
0: The third and short situation 16 of their 23 third down situations have been third and short, where it's five yards or less, and 10 of them have been runs, and they've resulted in not a lot of success in those situations. I think he's playing checkers against the two opponents they've played. I think he's playing chess against the schedule because you're right. Why? Why put a lot on film for Notre Dame to have to prepare for it? Well, more than that you want to. You want to show them things so they have to worry about things, but you don't want to give away your game plan the first three weeks when you don't have to. You can beat Indiana, Youngstown State, and Western Kentucky playing checkers. So, yeah, in those games he's playing checkers. But in the I think the preparation for when the season very much takes off, which is week four, which is what happens after the bye week, I think that is where he is playing chess. While also you can't play chess when you're still trying to figure out who your starting quarterback is. You know, you gotta it's it's two different games of chess just trying to play, whether it was Kyle McCord or Devin Brown. Now that you are playing with Kyle McCord, I don't think they're gonna, you know, all of a sudden turn into Ohio State versus Georgia with the play calling, but I think you could head down that road now that you know you're locked in with Kyle McCord and how you go about things. This question kind of leads into our next question, so I'll go straight to it. From the 312, is there a chance that the new play clock rules and lack of style points could end up costing Ohio State a playoff bid? It sounds crazy, and it almost certainly won't happen. I love when people answer their own question within the (laughs) question that they're asking. It's it's amazing. It's like they're taking away all your options. But what if there are five undefeated conference champions? Is there even a slight chance that the committee favors Georgia, Florida State, USC, and Texas over an undefeated Big Ten champ? I doubt it, but it sometimes seems like Day is content with victory while trying to teach slash learn as opposed to flexing his clear talent
1: advantage. The committee doesn't really care about style points. The committee cares about controlling wins, historically. It's a new committee every every couple of years, so we'll see. But historically, it's not whether or not you won 52-7 to instead of 35-7. to It's whether you controlled that game. But more to the point, the scenario that, as presented, A, is highly unlikely to happen. But also, B, if Ohio State is the undefeated Big Ten champion, Ohio State will go to the playoff over some of those other teams. For instance, like imagine an Ohio State undefeated record this season. That will include a road win at Notre Dame. A road win at Wisconsin. I know they just lost. The committee's still going to value that. Uh, a win over Penn State, who looks like they're going to be a top ten team at worst, maybe when that game happens. A win at Michigan, which could be number one team in the country who, for all we know at that point of the season, and then the Big Ten West champion. Like, like there's no way that that resume, no matter what the point differentials are, isn't better then, I mean, go look at what USC would be bringing to the table, for instance, as an undefeated Pac-12 champion. That's still going to be better. I think it would probably still be better than what Texas is bringing, even with a road win at Alabama like, and, and whatever's coming out of the ACC. So I, I think an undefeated Big Ten, Ohio State, undefeated Big Ten champion, Ohio State, is that resume with this season is going to, I think without question, be better than multiple other resumes, undefeated resumes that would be coming to the table. That might still out. be the number one resume, depending yeah, who, on who wins. Yeah,
0: the,
1: yeah. SEC, especially now that Alabama has already lost. All if
0: all five Power Five conference champions are undefeated, which conference gets left out the playoff?
2: In reality, I lean ACC because, like, Florida State had the win over LSU, which is a really good win, um, especially considering that they beat them up in the second half. But like, Florida State. Like, it's like, what if like if Clemson's down, like Florida state's not really going to play anybody. If we were looking at this objectively with no prior knowledge, if, if you dropped someone in from outer space and you said, these are the rules of college football and they understood them and they said, here's what matters. Resume matters on getting into the playoff. If all these teams got in like, or if all these teams went undefeated, if you had, you know, it's, it's Georgia. Georgia's Georgia's not going to play anybody all year, and Georgia's resume is probably going to be the weakest because the Pac-12 well, yeah. looks pretty but good. They're right also now. the
0: back-to-back reigning national champion. But, but that's what I'm saying. Like we, we learned that from, just
2: as a year. Yeah, we we yeah. learned that
0: from well, the Florida State situation where if you're an undefeated reigning national, you're champion,
2: right, oh you're oh 100, and I agree with you. I'm just saying that like if you were to look at it from a resume perspective. You would be like, "Oh, Georgia," and then you realize that they've won back-to-back national championships, and you're just like, "Oh, of course, Georgia is going to be the number one seed. They deserve it."
1: Yeah, that's where again, it's why the 14 playoff is a farce that should have been eliminated years ago. Exactly for this scenario, Correct. this is a ridiculous thing that we're dealing with. It should be well, hold on. It, it not should to be go backwards, Andrew.
0: Not to go backwards,
2: Andrew. Yeah. To
1: go forward. Sometimes
2: you have to go backwards to go so, forwards.
1: Yes, I'm saying, I'm saying it should be 12. Not that it should be um just yeah. draw a name out of a hat or whatever the nonsense people wish this were instead of actually decided yep. on the field. So yeah, the 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 five team um doomsday scenario I think is is highly 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 unlikely obviously. But I do think that Ohio State again if if Ohio State is winning Unless you just think all these teams that Ohio State would be beating aren't good, and it's it's fake. But I think Penn State's good. I think Michigan's good. And so does everybody else, for the most part. So if Ohio State's beating all of those teams, it's going to have a better resume, even if it's only winning those games close. And I don't think the fact—I think by the time you get— the committee is also going to care more about the fact that you beat Michigan on the road at all than how much you beat Youngstown State by. It knows that there are dynamics that go into those games, especially early in the year. I can already tell you right now. What's his name? Boo. I always want to call him Boo Radley from um, To Kill a Mockingbird. It's, It's Boo something else. Boo, on the conference call, will be saying... Yeah, you know, we, we look, you know, remember Ohio State, the early this year, they were playing two quarterbacks. They hadn't decided on a starter. Once they decided on a starter, the offense looked better. We're obviously, we're just assuming what could happen if, if that happens. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can already hear the way he'll be explaining why the committee is ranking Ohio State based on what it's doing over the past couple of weeks rather than what it was doing early in the season when it was still legitimately trying to figure out some things with its offense and wasn't losing games. It's not like you're having to make excuse for a team that was losing games. They were still winning at Indiana by 20 points on the road. And the other thing to remember here, too, is the committee likes 100%. The committee loves playmakers, loves quarterbacks, loves playmakers. Whenever I don't care who the committee chairman is. Every time I call into that thing, every freaking Tuesday night, when they'll you'll bring up somebody's name and he'll say, "Oh well, so and so the quarterback," and he'll do it for Ohio State. He'll say, "Oh, C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison Jr. That's that's an explosive offense." So they care about that. They ob- absolutely do. But let's not forget a world where this the identity of this Ohio State team might be a different identity than the one that went. Into the playoff conversation the last couple of years. It could be winning, just winning in a slightly different way, and the committee could recognize that too and say, you know, yes, their offense isn't as explosive as it was the last couple of years. If you see what they're doing on defense right now. Like this defense is maybe the best in the country or whatever they're trying to argue at the time. Again, we're speculating. We're we're just looking into a possible future at this point. And I'm not predicting Ohio State to have the best defense in the country this year, but I'm just saying those are the conversations that will be happening. I would really, really, really I would not freak out about anything regarding margin of victory right now. I don't think that's important in any way. I think style points matter for the AP poll and the AP poll doesn't matter. It is, It does not matter, which is one of the reasons why I well, kind of got out of doing it. But it, it won't I, matter to the committee. But it's, it, I think that how Ohio State is performing in key areas is important. And it is okay right now to be thinking about those things. Rather than worrying about the fact that Youngstown State was only thirty-five to seven when they were favored by forty some points, the, is the boo is the boo
0: you are referring to. NC State athletic director Boo Corrigan. It is yes, Boo Corrigan yes. Okay, cool. We don't know if Ohio State's defense is going to be the best in the country. They haven't played anybody yet, but if the defense is what we have been told and we have been hearing that it's going to be, and we've seen flashes of so far, even if the offense isn't what it's been the last two years, you still have the weapons around it that always presents the idea that maybe it gets there by the time you get to a playoff game. And Marvin Harrison Jr. is a name. So that's your playmaker. And it's not the quarterback, but it's Marvin Harrison Jr. It's Emeka Buka. And you're pairing that with Ohio State's now reputation at quarterback. So, There's always the idea that every single week if this offense keeps growing and this defense puts a, we think it's really good, and then it comes out against Notre Dame, it's like, oh, yeah, they're really, really good. Then you're talking in a 2019 scenario where Ohio State might be the most complete team in the country.
2: You should not be worrying about style points until Big Ten play. Don't worry about it till October. Because even against Notre Dame, like, is anybody going to argue, like, Ohio State goes into South Bend, obviously, if you lose 52 to nothing, but that's not going to happen. But like you go into Notre Dame and you lose 31-24, nobody's going to come out of that game. I mean, obviously, there are going to be people who will say, oh, we can't do this. We can't do that. The season's over. I I understand that. But at that point, Ohio State will still control its destiny. Like the Buckeyes run the table at that point. They're in the college football playoffs. Like nobody's going to dispute that, that a one loss Big Ten champ is going to get in. So I I think even a loss to Notre Dame, you don't really have to worry about it. If you get a loss on the schedule, then I know this wasn't the question, but like if you get a loss on the schedule, then I think you got to start to worry about style points just a little bit um, because of the Notre Dame factor, because you're going to have the five conference champions and then Notre Dame is probably going to be hanging around, especially if they win that game. Um, So yeah, you know, I, I think, for, for me, like looking at this, I I wouldn't look at kind of running up the score or, you know, keeping an opponent down or however you want to phrase it. I, I wouldn't look at that until Big Ten play because even if you win the Big Ten at one loss, you're almost certainly in. The worry would be if you don't win the Big Ten. So, like, you know, if you don't, like, if you lose to Michigan and Michigan goes to the Big Ten championship again, then you better have beaten Notre Dame by 28 and Penn state by 21. Like, I think that then it's going to matter.
1: Well, I think I should amend my statement that I I think style points could matter in the end game. Style points could matter in, you know, we saw this in 2014, right? Like Ohio state wasn't necessarily assured of getting into that playoff and going out and just unleashing. Holy hell on Wisconsin helps you get in the playoff. Like it's, that's where the style Mm -hmm. points, it's not so much style points. It's like you, Uh, you completely dominated someone on the big stage at the crucial moment. That's where that comes more into play. I really don't think it's going to matter. And the reason, I mean, go look at Georgia last year. Like Georgia had some games early last year where it was kind of playing with its food and messing around and not really doing that great and didn't look that great. Actually really wasn't playing that great. And then that didn't really have any bearing when we got to, December on how anybody was thinking about Georgia.
0: I think style points might be a tiebreaker when it, you're really not sure between two teams, when two teams have an equal resume and both probably deserve to get in. I think because that's what the, the, the 59 to nothing went over Wisconsin. That's what that was. That was, the, I mean, it was just style points because it, it was a tiebreaker because if they had won that game 35 to 17, they probably wouldn't have gotten into the college football playoff. So I, I think that's a good way to put it. Let's switch up a little bit. I want A little football, but then you know, a little other. I'm not calling them nonsense. A little other. One other per little section we do here. So from the 330. So I recently had my world turned upside down. I feel like I know nothing now. Buckeye talk. I witnessed a person eating a bagel with cream cheese in a sandwich. I personally eat a bagel half by half with the bottom half first. I always get... And everything bagel, so I saved the best half for last. Am I eating it wrong? Should I eat
1: it as a sandwich? What are your thoughts? So I just want to make sure. I think you, you you changed a crucial word in there. I witnessed a person eating a bagel with cream cheese as a sandwich. Like, it's a cream cheese sandwich, just bagel and cream cheese. As if it were like a donut, except it's sliced in half with cream cheese oh, in the middle. Right? okay. It's not not the fact that they're eating cream cheese on a sandwich. Because that's the important distinction. I think this is weird, but I guess I'm okay with it. Because maybe it's the cleanest way to eat a bagel uh, with cream cheese on it. I love getting like breakfast sandwiches. And even if I'm getting cheese on the sandwich, having them slop some cream cheese on there as well. Like, like I will go, there's a bagel place not too far from us that has good uh, sandwiches. And I'll get like whatever their sandwich usually comes with, American cheese or whatever. And then I'll have them like put some chives cream cheese on it or whatever. Just because I like that. I, I like cream cheese as a spread on a sandwich. So I think that's okay. Um, is it a little weird to me? Uh, it is. Um, because I feel like you're getting a lot. The good thing about just eating it to the traditional way is the distribution of cream cheese to bagel. Here, you're like, you're. I don't know if you're getting more cream cheese necessarily. And you're doubling up on how much bagel you're getting in each bite. And that seems like, I don't. that's not a ratio I want.
0: It would seem like something that happened as
1: they were in a rush. They made their bagel and put some cream cheese on
0: it and realized I have to drive and I don't want to put this other half of the bagel down. So, you know what? Smack that thing together and let's just have a bagel and cream cheese. So they probably it's probably the same thing. It's just they ate it all in one bite because they were driving. I don't know where the person was when they saw this, but I eat. I just eat two halves. I, I get bagels as like bread and buns on sandwiches. I don't necessarily eat a lot of bagels with just cream cheese, so this is not necessarily my race, but I'm just assuming what happened in this situation. Andrew, how do you take your bagel?
2: How do I, how do I take my bagel? Uh, like a normal person, uh, you... What's well, a normal person in, bagel?
0: We all yeah, have our own
2: taste buds. You put it in the toaster, mm-hmm. and you wait for it to pop, and then you Burn your fingers a little bit as you spread the cream cheese on it on both sides, on two sides, and then you eat one side and then you eat the other. Yeah. So
0: you you thought this was weird that the person just made a sandwich out of it. I think,
2: I think I, this is a, is a, is a good, good segue to the question that you're going to ask. Like if you've done this, if you've worked in this industry, You understand that sometimes you eat some real, real pathetic meals sometimes, and you really just got to eat it on the run as you're moving. So, like, I would love more context for this. Like, did this person eat it as they're, like, running through an airport and they're, like, just trying to, like, get something down because they're about to hop on a plane? Like, are they out for a walk? Or did you just, like, sit down at breakfast and then like somebody ordered a bagel or something and you just watch them take the two sides that were together, mashed them together and then ate it like a sandwich. Like I think context is important here um, because I, I would be more forgiving if the circumstances allowed. So, yeah, it's weird. But you know what? Like sometimes you all have to eat a weird, pathetic meal and I get it. It happens. But I I would I just need to hear more context. I think
0: deep dives in the bagel. Yeah. Yard. Football talk, of recruiting talk. That's what you get at Buckeye Talk. We're going to take a quick break here after that one. And when we come back here, we're going to talk about the fans. We're going to talk about what if we were AP voters. And Nathan, in this case, still an AP voter. And we're going to get into mobile quarterbacks. So more on that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. And we're back on Buckeye Talk. Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, Andrew Gillis. From the 419, Drew from the 419. What up, Drew? Drew asks a lot of good questions, actually. He's been a long-time listener, a long-time texter. So shout out to Drew from the 419. Do we live in a world where Kyle McCord comes back next year and he doesn't win the starting job? Feels like McCord is going to have to prove a lot this year. I understand the premise of the question, I think, because we've seen it before in college football. Where you have a starting quarterback, they do well, but it doesn't necessarily get you over the top and win you a national championship. And at some point in the following season, the guy loses his job. Is that a scenario that could happen, whether it happens in this scenario with Kyle McCord and Devin Brown, with Devin Brown having another year in the system and being in year three next year, or just later down the line, is that something
1: that's ever on the table with Ohio State football in their quarterback position? Ever? Sure. But I think the the crucial aspect of the Kelly Bryant Trevor Lawrence situation wasn't Kelly Bryan it was Trevor Lawrence yeah. you know uh, Clemson was doing just fine with Kelly Bryan I mean they were winning games he went to the playoff the year before with them they were undefeated at the time they made that quarterback switch but somebody was like wait a second this guy I think it's Trevor Lawrence is this Trevor Lawrence and they were like yeah that's Trevor Lawrence and they were like oh we should play him and they just started playing him instead and I think that's where it gets a little bit tricky for Ohio State like or not tricky but like that's why I'm I'm skeptical that this is maybe the direction it would head just because they've already gone head to head McCord Mm -hmm. is the consensus choice that he's the one that should be the starting quarterback going forward now could Devin Brown will Devin Brown presumably improve a lot between now and next spring or the start of camp next year uh absolutely I think so but the idea that mccord wouldn't also be doing that like that's the other thing to remember here and it's 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 a topic of conversation that has come up in the interviews that we had with ryan day i think you and i were talking about it Stephen going into monday a little bit was Mm -hmm. when you give kyle mccord full reign of this offense when you tell him that he is now the guy he doesn't have to look over his shoulder at all if if that was a problem for him at all i don't know but you're the guy i'm anointing you this is now so be comfortable in that that identity you this is your team now the team gets to respond to you in a different way you get all of those as i've harped on two billion times already this week you get all of the the lion's share of the practice reps now like we should see exponential improvement from kama Accord as well i think the next time we see devon brown play on a football field he'll probably be better i think we're going to see kama Accord, we should see kama Accord improve over the course of this season as well too because he is still in a development stage he is not a finished product Neither was C.J. Stroud when he was starting. Neither was Justin Fields when he started starting, when he got here to Ohio State, despite all the experience he had in the SEC at Georgia that first year. So this is still a, a work in progress, and I think it would surprise me if Kyle didn't improve enough that he couldn't come back next year in essentially the same situation and not went out again. And I guess you can also include Aaron Oland in that conversation, right? Like there's going to be even more people involved in the quarterback conversation at that point. And, and Lincoln Keen also still be here. It'll be a, a pretty fat room next year, potentially. Uh, but that's assuming also that Devin Brown is sticking around for that competition. If, it, if, Kel- if Cam McCord gets to the end of this year and decides the time is not right for him to go to the NFL, we're obviously going to have a, a decision being made by Brown and his family as to whether they want to wait another year for an opportunity or whether there is a another really strong power five program somewhere that needs a quarterback today which will i'm telling you right now a thousand percent be the case like there's going to be somebody who should otherwise be a good football team that will somehow find themselves in a completely desperate situation for a quarterback
0: it's it's interesting because I don't think we've we've seen examples, but we've never seen it to this extreme before. Maybe, maybe the DJ Uyungleye, aka Klubnik situation was like that, but at that point it just felt like they both both DJ and and needed to move on from each other the way he had played for two years. We've never seen it. The Michigan situation, J.J. McCarthy's ceiling was clearly higher than Cade McNamara, even with what Cade McNamara had done. We had never seen a situation where – I mean, listen – this is a room full of top 50 recruits, five-star recruits. Next year's room, if Kyle doesn't explode and go pro, is going to feature two five-star recruits, another top 50 recruit, and then a guy who might have some long-term high upside in Lincoln Keenholes, who just because of where he played at needs to take the long road to the field a little bit more. That's a pretty high-end room where we talked about it a lot with Kyle McCord and Devin Brown taking you know high floor versus high ceiling. We don't actually know which one of those two has the higher ceiling because they're both highly rated recruits. So I don't, I guess my question is then what does it look like for that to even be the case? Because with other guys, it's like Kay McNamara, um, Kelly Bryant, they got to the playoff and lost their job as lower rated guys who clear, clearly didn't have the ceilings as the guy who took their jobs. What would that even look like for Kyle McCord this year for him to be the starter this year? And then next year at some point, Devin Brown or Aaron Nolan or anybody takes the job from him if he comes back.
2: Well, I think there are three scenarios here. One of the first one is Devin Brown or Keenholz or whoever just takes a huge leap and overtakes McCord. And like that, I don't know, does, does that sound likely to anybody at this point? Like, I mean, maybe, certainly more likely for for Devin Brown, but like, that's the option, that's the number one option. Like, if Kyle McCord comes back, one of those guys is going to have to not, like, you don't have to, you know, you're not going to go into the offseason if Kyle McCord is the starter for, you know, what Ohio State hopes is a playoff run and a Big Ten championship. Like, you're not going to go through that And then immediately in spring have Ryan, Ryan, might say it maybe, but I don't, I don't know if he would, you're not going to go in and be like, all right, we're all even again. Like this is another battle again, like common cords clearly going to be, you know, someone that they value highly. Uh, The second scenario is that Aaron Nolan comes in and is Trevor Lawrence and he's just a generational, this guy's going to be the number one overall pick in three years type of player. Do you think that that's likely? I mean, maybe, but like Aaron Nolan certainly doesn't have like the recruiting pedigree that Trevor Lawrence did. I know Aaron Nolan is a really highly rated recruit, but like Trevor Lawrence was known as the number one recruit for years. You know, everybody kind of saw him, um, you know, kind of saw his, his, his senior year coming. So unless you think he's Trevor Lawrence, then that's unlikely or the third, and this is the most far-fetched option, I think is that. McCord just doesn't really play that well. And then Ohio State looks at the situation at the end of the year and is like, we're not going to rely on Aaron Nolan. Lincoln's not ready yet. We don't really want to give the reins to Devin. Maybe we bring in a transfer. And I don't think that that's likely. So like all of these scenarios, to varying degrees, I think are pretty unlikely. Um, I think some obviously way more unlikely. There's just, to me, them naming McCord the starter like unless McCord has just a terrible year or a great year, like unless it's one of the you know unless you're kind of at the you know one side of the spectrum and the other, he'll be back and he'll be the starter next year.
1: Yeah, I, I think it would have to be that that second scenario that you mentioned. That frankly, either Devin Brown underwent some sort of like leap in the hyperspace as far as his development, <laughs> or Aaron Nolan showed up and everybody was like, oh oh wait. What's this? Yeah. Uh, I think that would have to be the, the scenario, but we're still, man, it's it's really hard to envision any of this right now because we're only, Comichord still hasn't even played his first game as the full-time <laughs> undisputed starter. So yeah. like, we don't know what Comichord is going to look like in a couple of weeks against Maryland and Purdue. We sure don't know what he's going to look like um, against Notre or Michigan at the end of this season or possibly beyond. And I, we all, we definitely don't know what, what Aaron Nolan's going to look like as a, or what even Devin Brown's going to look like next spring. Again, if, if we're even looking at a scenario where he's still in this mix, um, cause I think that's a, that's a tough decision. That's a tough space to be in, to know that you're one snap away. If you stay from arguably like one of the best spots in college sports, like quarterback at Ohio state, um, but how long are you willing to wait around without a guarantee that you ever actually get that? It's tough. So I, I'm i skeptical too that it would be a scenario where McCord, once he gets into these games, I keep coming back to, I asked Ryan Day the question yesterday about the, and I said special trait, but I misremembered what he said. He actually said extraordinary trait, which I think is, is different. And because then when you tell me- Right, because when you tell me that his his extraordinary trait is consistency, I, I'm I, that still underwhelms me a little bit. But I'm still <laughs> playing with our theory, Steven, that it may be that he's got some android in him in the right way, mm-hmm. like the un the unemotional in the moment, cool, calm, collected, can process through these tough. And I, you know, we may know that as soon as two weeks, uh, less than two weeks now at Notre Dame. So if, if, if that like never really shows up, if that thing that makes him extraordinary never really shows up, then I, I guess, then I, I see a scenario, but right now I'm operating under the assumption that comic if he finishes his season as a starter and decides to come back next year, he will start on opening day, 2024.
0: Part of me wants to go back and look at when things went wrong for Kyle McCord, whether it was the last two weeks or the Akron game, and just see how he reacted to it. You know, just to see – because that's part of this. is like when things go really well and they go really bad, where are you? Because that's going to help us decide whether or not that thing we've been theorizing on, Nathan, is a trade or not. I think I've got the scenario. Georgia, when they got Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm, and then Justin Fields in back-to-back-to-back recruiting classes. Eason had the job. He gets hurt. Jake Fromm takes over. They go to the national championship game, and a star is born for uh, Tua and Devontae Smith, which is hilarious. <laughs> Alabama won a game with the guy who was eventually going to win the Heisman Trophy and another guy who was going to be a Heisman Trophy finalist, and they were both true freshmen. Fromm goes to the national championship game, and then the Trevor Lawrence shows up because, I yes, Trevor Lawrence was all that in the bag of chips coming out of high school. So was Justin Fields. Trevor Lawrence – took the job from his guy who was lower rated than him and went to the playoff. Justin Fields did not. And I think that's the, I think Ohio state might be in the Georgia scenario, especially since Aaron Nolan is not the same level of a recruit that Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields was. If Kyle McCord gets to the national championship game, even if Aaron Nolan shows up and we're all like, whoa, I don't think he wins the job. I don't think he takes the job from Kyle McCord in that scenario because he just got to the national championship game. And this is a little bit of a complex offense. As we're seeing, Kyle McCord struggled to run it. And we start when he had to start as a true freshman, Devin Brown hasn't looked that hot in his second year running it. C.J. Stroud didn't look hot. I mean, Ryan Day even said it, it took Justin Fields a couple of weeks. He was just uber-talented, so it made up for that. Even if Aaron Nolan is coming in he's having a light show in practice, I don't know if it's enough to make him unseat a guy, if, especially if Kyle McCord makes the playoff and plays at a level where it's not quite going to be a first-round draft pick, but it puts him on the board for the 2025 draft to be like a top fifteen pick. I, I'm with you guys. I don't think he loses the job. From the 330, trying to, trying to stay on quarterbacks here. Hi, Steven. Hi, 330. This is Ian from Akron. Hi, Ian from Akron. Were you disappointed with how slow and unexplosive Devin Brown looked after weeks and months of the coaches saying that he, that is a big part of his game? We OSU play, fans were spoiled with super athletic QBs and JT and Justin. So our expectations just so our expectations just too high for mobile QBs. Brown did not even look in the same league as those guys speed wise. Yes, I think it. it I think that. That is part of this. I mean, the last three mobile quarterbacks Ohio State had were Braxton Miller, who was a lightning in a bottle. JT Barrett, who wasn't, he didn't have the speed that Justin and Braxton had, but he had a lot of power, and it's why they were third and short. That was never an issue with JT Barrett, because they were just going to give him the ball. And then Justin Fields, I mean, that's, he's a four-four-four 4 4 guy at 6'3", 215. That's not normal. So I do think that's part of this is, Devin Brown probably is a better athlete than Kyle McCord, but because of who the quarterbacks have been, when you say that type of a statement, people automatically went to the furthest lengths of what mobile qu- quarterbacks look like with JT Baird, Justin Fields, and Braxton Miller, where it should have just been like, oh, Devin Brown's a better athlete than Kyle McCord, but by like 5, 10, maybe 15%. Yeah,
1: I, I never thought of Devin Brown that way. And I was also on record as saying, I really don't think there's this gulf between Devin Brown and Kyle McCord um, as far as just foot speed I think Devin Brown is more of those things but it wasn't like we were comparing a highly mobile quarterback a dual threat quarterback to a complete statue it wasn't like you were comparing Haskins who never ever ever ran the ball to Justin Fields who can go out and run for 1100 yards in the NFL season you know what I mean like it was it should never have been posed that way and I tried to when we talked about it make sure that we weren't posing it that way because that wasn't accurate and I do think it's I'll say this I I think that it's not even so much that Brown has elite speed I think it was always more about the athleticism does he have a sort of even more than athleticism maybe it's just a willingness to play the game a certain way like does Mm -hmm. he is he more willing to break off a play and use his legs in a, a but but as we're also seeing, that comes with a certain, um, what is it, with great power comes great responsibility, whatever. Like, you you have to utilize that within the structure of the Ohio State offense. And if you're bailing out of a play too soon, it's, for instance, then that's not what this offense is built to do. It's not what you're supposed to be, especially if you are not that uber-tier of speed guy, speed athlete. So I do think ultimately what Devin Brown needs to be for this offense. And I believe that we had conversations like this back in the spring is be the kind of consistent passer, the guy who can go out and make decisions and lead a team down the field that way. And this, your ability to run is the adjacent thing in your arsenal. It's the thing that you can use to enhance having the baseline that Ohio state and Ryan day expects to have from its quarterbacks. Because again. That was what Justin Fields was. The guy who ran for 1,100 yards in the NFL last year was essentially a pocket passer at Ohio State. I mean, yes, he had the ability to go out and break runs. They would call more design runs for him. But was we tried to tell people who were asking about him going into the NFL draft in 2020 uh, or 2021, I suppose, was that don't think of this guy as dual threat. Think of him as a pocket passer who has that ability to get on run. And I think that's what Devin Brown ultimately has to aspire for as well.
2: So I, I wasn't necessarily like disappointed. I think Nathan's right. You know, he, he he can scoot a little bit, but it's not to the levels that you now change the offense. It's not to the levels that it adds another level to the offense that wasn't there before or that isn't there with Kyle McCord. So I, I had kind of seen the... Up close, I guess early on, since when I started on the beat, that you know he wasn't gonna you know blow by everybody in the open field. He wasn't gonna do all that. So, I mean, I don't know. I I wasn't super you know disappointed that you know there wasn't like some big wrinkle to this offense or anything like that. I think sometimes
0: they used him as if it was more to be shown there than what we saw with how much they were using him in the run game, especially in those third and short opportunities. And I I don't I not say I won't say I was disappointed, but for as much as they used him over the last two weeks as a in-designed run situations, I don't know if it ever profited the expectation that they were hoping to get out of those plays.
1: Well, I think also look at the way these games played out too. Like they had Devin Brown. Like the the thing that would have set up really well, it did set up really well. the The, the first series, Devin Brown goes in against Indiana. It it's unfolding perfectly for what he is supposedly, right? They were going to get nine yards on two carries on the first two plays, third and one, you get to just run a keeper with Devin Brown, the more athletic, more mobile, more running-oriented quarterback of the two, and Josh Simmons goes turnstile technique and lets the guy just get back and hit Brown in the backfield for a loss, and the the drive's over. So they, they even tried to utilize Brown, and that's maybe the one thing you would say about this quarterback process is that because it's a even share, if that was a thing that he could truly emphasize in a way that McCord can't, the fact that you have to operate together and game plan together and run the offense kind of the same way together probably didn't do him any favors. I suppose you could probably say that. But I would still say... All those things are secondary to whether you can do the primary thing that this Ohio State offense needs to do, which is get the ball in the hands of Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka, Buka, Trevion Henderson, Julian Fleming. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's whatever you think of Devin Brown as a potential athlete, at quarterback, you want those guys with the ball in their hands much, much, much more often than him as far as, like, tucking and running. it. He needs to be – this quarterback needs to be making decisions and delivering the ball to those guys.
0: From the 513 – what are the overall thoughts on Knowles being less feast or f- famine approach? With his less feast or famine approach, what he talked about yesterday with the blitzing. Hosts are it will limit the big plays in matchup games, but it doesn't make us more bland against lesser competition, eliminating the style points that are sometimes needed. Once again, that word style points has come up twice in this pod. What do we think of that, Nathan, and the way he answered those blitz questions and how that feast or famine mentality that maybe he came into Ohio State with with how much he was blitzing that at Oklahoma State?
1: Well, we actually, I mean, it felt like he blitzed a lot last week. And uh, especially with Eichenberg, it just felt like he was very active last week. Maybe it was just Eichenberg. I I didn't go back and chart that snap by snap. I I would definitely say, again, to reiterate what we said earlier, we're just getting a little too far down the line two games in on things like style points. Um, Mm -hmm. It may be affecting what's happening in the AP poll. What's happening in the AP poll doesn't mean anything. And I do, I would not worry about This is going to be an interesting week. As far as how people react to this Western Kentucky game. I've been harping on it all week. I sent another text Wednesday morning, reiterating to people that you need to be prepared for what this is going to look like on Saturday. This is not a team that Ohio state is going to tee off on with its defensive ends. It's, it's just not, I want to throw out the stat real quick that I sent last season. Ohio State's offense, 410 pass attempts and allowed only 12 sacks. I mean, that is like an elite rate. That's very good. And that's what happens when you have two NFL tackles, including a top 10 pick. Western Kentucky's offense allowed 14 sacks, so two more sacks, but on 623 attempts, so 213 more attempts. And this season they've allowed zero on 88 attempts. So over their last 700 pass attempts, They've allowed 14 sacks. That's just kind of insane. And it's not because they have NFL tackles. It's because they play an offensive style that protects against getting sacked or or, or just does other things, takes that away. So listen, I'm really intrigued this week if Jim Knowles is going to have to bring pressure and bring a lot of blitzes because that's where the pressure would get created against an offense like this. We already talked about that this week about how this is maybe how you can create you make Western Kentucky make decisions on your terms. But I am more intrigued by what happens in a game like Notre Dame. Is that a game where because of what happened last year do you pen that more on your defensive ends to go out and get the job done because you can't leave yourself as vulnerable in the back end as they sometimes did. But Jim Noles was very aggressive in the in the Big 12 against offenses that look a lot like what Western Kentucky was. And it really worked out. I mean they were one of the best. By the time he left there, it, it'd become one of the best defenses in the country numerically. So the 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 term that keeps coming up to me that he said was eye violations. I think that was the actual term. People talk about eye discipline all the time, he said eye violations. Like you didn't have your eyes in the right place. You committed a violation. And regardless of whether Knowles is blitzing a lot against Western Kentucky, this is a game that's going to test whether this secondary has made disciplined advancements since last year these cornerbacks they look obviously just a lot better than they did at this time last year or even at midseason last year uh someone like Lathan Ransom someone like Sonny Styles who's going to be going against an offense like this really for the first time like Josh Proctor for sure if he can play like how do those guys hang in and and are are they playing that that disciplined structure that it takes against a team that's going to RPO you to death like Western Kentucky will I, I'm very curious about that, and I think it'll tell us more about where this secondary is and where the defense is overall than what happens from a pass rush standpoint this week.
0: Yeah, I think so much of this conversation is rooted in the Michigan game and the Latham ransom fell down against Georgia, and that's not. I, I'm I've always been with you. That's not the the play caller's fault. I thought it was the right play. It's just like, the defensive back did not make the play and contain it when a good quarterback got the ball out. J.J. McCarthy is a good quarterback. I mean, is he a first-round NFL draft pick? I don't know. But he's a he's a really good high-end Big Ten quarterback at worst. And they blitzed. He got the ball out. If Cam, if Cam Brown makes the tackle, then it's not a 70-plus yard touchdown. It's just a really good play by a quarterback, and the drive continues on. So I'm with you. I am wondering how much he'll blitz this week, because this is the game they're trying to figure out whether or not, as you're talking about that, the the eye, eye violation, just a level of talent. Is that better? If you blitz Tommy Eichenberg and steal Chambers up the A-gap and Austin Reed gets the ball out, is Denzel Burke, is Jordan Hancock, is Davis and Igmanosin going to make the tackle? that's that's the cuz it's that's the difference for me between a 7-yard gain and a 70-yard touchdown that's more important in this week I, I, I we had a video earlier this week where we said who's this game more important for the defensive line or the secondary i said defensive line in that video but the more conversations we have and the more i think about it i think you guys are right it's definitely the secondary because this defense puts the pressure on the secondary to be good and when it's not good, you give up explosives. When it is good, you get what Davis and Igbenosian has been dealing with the first two weeks where, yes, he's given up catches, but they haven't turned into anything. We just got an email from um, Ohio State SID Jerry Emick, and the first line, few words on it or keep your focus on the game at hand, Western Kentucky, but regarding <laughs> Notre Dame this week. And uh, it's funny just because I was getting ready to ask a Notre Dame question, so we're going to look ahead a little bit. Sorry, Jerry, if you're listening. From the 307. I don't apologize. <laughs>
1: that's
0: fair. That's fair. From the 307, where would you all rank Ohio State and Notre Dame if OSU wins and you were an AP voter? And where would you rank them if Notre Dame won next week? And they're both – let's just say both of them get through this week. They're still undefeated going into that game. Where are you ranking the winner coming out of that week?
2: Well, for context right now, as we record this, Ohio State is six and Notre Dame is nine. Um, Correct. There's not this gonna is like be
0: a, there's a slow week of college football, so they'll probably be six and nine again R- when we
2: get in the next one. Right. If Ohio State wins that game, I mean I think that they would absolutely deserve to be above USC. So I think fifth is fair. Um because I, I mean I just I, I would keep Georgia one and two. And I think you could make a really good case that Florida State's win over LSU and Texas's win over Bama are better than ohio state's win over notre dame so i think that's fine like and, and again i think rankings early in the season you know they are what they are these teams are going to cannibalize themselves um it would kind of be interesting though if you know the person the doomsday scenario that we talked about earlier on this pod uh we'd end up with uh team that we'd have five conferences represented in the top six if that's the case uh, that's what we have right now actually um and actually, frankly, it's the, you could make the same case for Michigan because uh, you have the Pac-12 at five, the Big 12 at four, the ACC at three, the Big Ten at two, and the SEC at one. Like it's just kind of funny that uh, it worked out that way so early in the season. Uh, if Notre Dame wins, I kind of say the same thing. I think fifth because I, I would. I think fifth is fair. It's beating Ohio State at home. I think would be. Like a big win for them, like a big win for Notre Dame. I wouldn't look at it as a bigger win for them than Texas's win against Alabama, or even Florida State's win over LSU. So I think either one, I would put them fifth. Um, If Notre Dame loses to Ohio State, I'm not dropping them down a ton. Probably dropping them below Alabama, below Tennessee, maybe below you. Like like they're falling to twelve or thirteen. They're only falling a few spots. And I think it's fair if Ohio State loses, you can probably drop them to, you know, 11 or something like that, you know, kind of right behind Alabama, because I think no matter what you can argue, the loss is going to be not as good as like Alabama's loss to Texas and the win is not going to be good as Texas's win over Alabama, if that makes sense. So I think in in these games, you're not going to see a ton of movement either way. Like Notre Dame's not falling to 24 if they lose and same thing with Ohio State.
1: Well, right now people should be voting either Florida State or Texas number one. Or at least I would be. That's I mean, they have the best wins. They should be yeah. number one right now. Um, if Ohio State goes into Notre Dame and wins, then it's it's a conversation about which between Ohio State, Florida State, and Texas gets the number one vote. They have they have to go ahead of Georgia and Michigan on my ballot. i mean, again I won't I mm-hmm. guess I won't criticize other people, but other people have their way of voting and there's sixty-three people and that's why they do sixty-three people, because you get sixty-three different perspectives. But I'm a resume voter and neither Georgia or Michigan will have beaten anybody of consequence and they can't be ahead of these teams that are beating those teams of consequence. And that's the good thing about the poll is that it's a new poll. It's a new ballot each week. So you don't have to vote today based on what you think is going to happen in two months. You can just vote on what's happened so far and then change your vote next week. It, it's, it's the beauty of it. So uh Ohio State State on would be no lower than third on my ballot. If they beat Notre Dame, um, especially winning on the road at Notre Dame, is that a better win? Then Florida State beating LSU at home, I, so. I don't know. I think it's 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 right there. It's, it's how much you value the Notre Dame win because you don't right. have to be beholden. You're also making your own decision on how good the team actually is. It doesn't have to be beholden to where other people thought they were. The consensus had them in the poll. You know what I'm saying? So I'll just say no worse than top three, maybe top two at that point. And then if they were, if Notre Dame were to win, same thing. They, they'll have a better win than, than those other teams I was talking about. And then if Ohio State were to lose, I think it matters how they lose. I think if, for some reason, if this Western Kentucky win is kind of shaky, if it's kind of like a Tulsa 2021 win where you're kind of like, oh, that was still a thing in the fourth quarter, what was going on there? Like, if it's a win like that and then they lose to Notre Dame, I think you're probably talking about not a top 15 team anymore. I think if they, like, took care of business against Western Kentucky and then just lost a really, really tough game against Notre Dame, I don't know. Do they even drop all the way out of the top 10? It's probably borderline like what, what Andrew's talking about. Um, it's just unfortunate the way that, that some people vote in the poll, I think, because I, I, it's, it's distressing to me that so that Texas and Florida State right now have so few number one votes. And I'm not even someone who has like a, a internal hate for someone like Michigan. But like, why is Michigan getting voted? number one ahead of either of those two teams right now. I get Georgia. They're the two-time defending national champion. The Michigan keeps going to the playoff and kind of messing its pants a little bit. And so let's maybe not give them the same level of respect. Let's like actually give those votes to the team that's actually going out and, and beating other really good teams or what are perceived to be other really good teams. Um, so, that's, yeah, if, if Ohio State won, I think they should be probably either two or three. I would probably still say... Texas for going on the road to beating Alabama is still the best resume at that point. And that's without me looking at around every possible resume in the country at that point, but among the teams that we're discussing, I think you'd put them either 2
2: or 3. It just depends what you think of Notre Dame, I think, which is the hard part, right? Like and we're not going to know until they play Ohio State cuz like like if you look at Notre Dame and it's like all right, well, they won, you know, three blowouts or or they kind of handled their opponents in at least two of them and ah but they were navy yeah tennessee state and nc state like it it, it depends like if you think that like sam hartman is like legit and if you think that that you know that that you know second year marcus freeman is legit like if you think all of that then i I don't think that there's a world where you can drop ohio state like very far at all like even if even if it is like a shaky western kentucky win like even if you kind of do get that because like if you play well against notre dame and you think Notre Dame is is good Notre Dame this year then you've got you know then you've got some then you've got some some things to talk about because th- i mean if you think Notre Dame is good then they're a top 10 team with a really good quarterback and like maybe a Heisman hopeful at quarterback like that's kind of the Notre Dame like if you think that this is all smoke and mirrors with Notre Dame and it's just that they've played a bunch of crap then all right then then we're having a different conversation but so it it just to me, it I I just don't know what to make of them so far.
0: I mean, you can say the same thing about Ohio State. They've played a best sure. opponent and lower a terrible Big Ten program as well. So it's going to be the same thing for both of these teams coming to that game. Notre Dame's got a very favorable schedule. The two big time opponents they play this year, they got them both at home: USC and Ohio State. and Clemson sucks, so that road game is not. Important I don't know. Anymore. I see.
2: I disagree about Clemson. I don't I know. Disagree
1: if Clemson, about Clemson sucks.
2: Yeah, I I think I do if they can play so that Duke. That you can
1: ass- yeah.
2: They replay that Duke game. They win that seven or eight times out of ten.
0: Do they? Are we yes, sure.
2: A hundred percent. They turned it over a bunch in the red zone. They fumbled. They missed a field goal. The kid, like they had like a twenty something yard field goal that the kid shot into Georgia. Like it was- so they didn't execute. Yeah, if you do that again, <laughs> they would. if you do that <laughs> you again, they would.
0: I mean, that's been the thing with them for three they years beat, now. Yeah, they they, they beat, don't execute. They so beat I don't know if they can see and, it. Yeah, they play that again. I mean, they, they, they they've been win. beating themselves for three years now, man. But anyway, I. To, I think that – I don't know if this is fair or not, but I think I would value the win more if Ohio State won it than Notre Dame won it. And I think it's just Ohio State's the road team. I would have said the other way around last year where I would have valued it more for Notre Dame than Ohio State because they are the road team who wins the game. I agree with you, Nathan, that Texas should be the number one team in the country. They just went and beat Alabama on the road in primetime and Quinn Ewer started his Heisman campaign. That They should be number one in the country. I think if Ohio State wins that game, given who everybody else plays that week, I think they should be number two because while I value the LSU, the Florida state win over LSU. I value the, I won the top 10 game on the road more than I do. I won the top 10 game on a neutral site that was closer to my home than it was the opponent, if that makes sense. But I, I you can go either way with that one. That's, you know, you're just, you know, that's,
1: yeah.
0: you're crossing eyes and dot and, and, T's and, dot and in that situation.
1: One of the no. reasons why I don't vote in the AP poll is because I think to do it well, um, you have to have your own sense of how good the teams are, your own ratings yeah. that you fall back on that are not just where those teams were ranked in the poll the week before. Mm-hmm. Like that can't be the only thing that matters. And then you have to on Sunday morning recalibrate the whole thing based on what you just mm-hmm. what just happened the week the previous weekend. So the fact that a team was ranked such and such and then loses now you you have to look at what that game actually was, not where that team was ranked like that, especially Mm -hmm. early in the season. It's so much tougher early in the season because there's so much more volatility and variance right now. And we're still in that window where people are trying to figure out just how good everybody is. I don't think we at all have a sense of how good Notre Dame is, for instance, because Mm -hmm. yes, they've got some good players and yes, Sam Hartman has thrown for a lot of yards and touchdowns in his now 15 year college career. But how good is he really compared to an elite potentially or something approaching a really strong defense? And is he really that much better than Tom McCord or the whatever Ohio State quarterback is going to go out? You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not going to know those things until they actually see him play head-to-head.
0: We're going to take a quick break there. And when we come back, two other questions that I think are just I just thought were interesting because I want to know the answers to them just as bad as the textures too. So I'll reveal what those are when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. And we're back on Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis from the 281. A journalism question. A journalism origin story question. When was your first feature story each of you wrote as professional sports writers published, and who and what was it about? Nathan,
1: as the old geezer on the beat, (laughs) Well, we'll let you go first. Well, that's the thing. It's like I don't remember... The first mm. feature story, I remember the first story I wrote for like the the so for like the local paper um they it was like i had just started I was starting there in the summer, I was going to college in town, and after I got out of high school and as as people do, that's usually and not doogie Hauser i went i did high school and then college um and and the first thing they sent me to was like a um it was like the little league softball like city championships. So like, you know, young, like that age, girls, softball city championships. And I remember like going there and like writing my story and like coming back and, um, and then like writing what, what we would call in the business, like an AP lead to that story. Like, Oh, such and such happened. And, and, and this team won the game. And then the next morning, like waking up and comparing the story I had written to the two, like full time professional reporters who we had sent to cover that game because i was just like the part-time kid and being like oh wait that's how you're supposed to write a story and then like that being like an epiphany to like so you just kind of learn as as by by comparison like that so i definitely remember covering i can remember like vividly like being at that game and covering that i don't remember my first like feature subject but i remember um uh, there's a couple that that stand out from like those early days and one was Um, There was a player, I grew up in like near Danville, Illinois, and there was a player for, people might remember if you're a baseball guy named Darren Fletcher, who was a a one-time all-star for, he played for the Blue Jays, the Expos, the Phillies, the Dodgers, had like a long MLB career, he was from right outside of Danville. And so I went one time up to the, uh, up to Chicago to a White Sox game. And I had like called him and talked to him in his hotel like uh, earlier in the week and then like went up and I like, interviewed him at the game and talked to other people about him. And I remember that being a big deal to like get to go to a, like a pro event when I was that young and like write that story. And then another story that for some reason sticks out to me was about a guy named Josh Smith who and it wasn't even like a like a special feature story. It was just this kid was like the best athlete. And um, at this little small town, Attica, Indiana, we covered teams right across the border too. And he like, they were the runner up in football that year and won the state championship in basketball. So it was kind of a, it was a feature I wrote during basketball season, but I only remember that because it's like, it's funny. It's interesting to watch guys. You see them at that age. And like, then he went on and played at Navy and then he like stayed in the Navy and is like a fighter pilot in the Navy or something now. And it's like, you don't really have a grasp when you're just covering a kid playing basketball um, in some little, like uh, some little old gym in, attica indiana that someday they're gonna be like doing stuff of that significance and it's just uh, interesting to have that uh, perspective all these years later 25 years later so yeah i mean it's like i've been doing this since that was 96 when i covered that first uh softball game so i've been doing this now for a hot minute so it's it's hard to remember like what the first feature story would have been
0: would make you sound so old i was two years old when you started drinking professional writing career <laughs> and what
1: wait what year was this <laughs> it, that was 96 i graduated high school in 96 but technically oh. i had written before that for like the local even more local mm-hmm. to me weekly paper like when i was in high school so i mean my I, i've probably what, crossed what what part of 96 like what what time of year
0: <laughs> He might not have it, been was a,
1: it, was a, it was a summer of 96 it would have been cutting it close on you i think that was probably oh. like it was probably july or august when i Okay, covered that event. I would guess September third,
2: ninety six was my birthday. It Was probably
1: before that because it was. I think this would have been something that was taking place before school started. If I had to guess, like summer league stuff. So, uh, but I definitely like I wrote about my high school basketball teams and stuff uh, for this for the local paper, the local weekly, back when I was in high school too. So we're probably up. We're man, we got to be knocking on the door like thirty years for me doing this for some paper in some capacity
0: so I don't I don't remember my first feature because that's hard um because I mean this is hard but I do remember the first beat I was on it was a sports beat and they're now called the Cleveland Comets but when I was in college they were called the Akron Racers and when I graduated from college I got a part-time job at the Akron Beacon Journal and I was the Akron Racers beat writer Covering and it's softball. It's professional women's softball. So that's the first thing I ever covered, and it was it was kind of fun. Like the games would actually be pretty hype when it was in Akron. I don't know what they do now that they there in Cleveland, which is kind of unfortunate. But yeah, it was that's the first beat I was on. I don't remember the first feature story I wrote, but I do remember that first beat. Andrew, do you remember your first professional feature story?
2: I had to look it up, um, and I kind of got reminded of what it was. Uh, I wrote a story, like I wrote for a print first paper in Northwest Ohio, in uh, Williams County, the Bryan Times. Uh, So I had to look it up. And we we did these like, like features about seniors, we call them senior spotlights. And like, you know, there were, I mean, we're, this, I mean, this is a very, very small kind of area. So like the football teams had like 15, 20, 25 kids on them. Um, so there weren't a ton of seniors to pick from. Uh, and I don't mean that as a bad thing. It was just, you, you, you know, we would do one every week and you would kind of, you know, you would say, Hey, we're going to do it on this kid because we, you know, we have to pick you know, Montpelier high school or whatever. And there were three kids to pick from, but fortunately for me, uh, they kind of gave me a softball and this kid had scored like five touchdowns the week before. So I wrote like a 400 word story about a running back Peyton Pease who scored like, like, I think it was like five or six touchdowns, whatever it was. He killed the, I saw him play twice in a row and this kid was fast and he just destroyed two teams in a row. It was Ottawa Hills and striker, I think were the two schools. So I wrote something about him like the first one that like I was able to like put some time into that I remember uh, there was a kid who went to Fairview High School, uh, Jacob Thompson, and it was like going into his senior year. He got in this like really bad car accident and uh, like the car that hit him was going like 60 miles an hour and like he was driving through like the like cornfields in northwest Ohio and he like couldn't see and this car just drilled him. And, you know, it it, like cut his leg open pretty bad and like they rushed him to the emergency room and like there was some worry on the operating table because he was like his blood pressure was plummeting and like he had a really, really rough time. And then, you know, he made it back to the football season in like two months after that, two and a half months after that. And in his first game back, he like dislocated his elbow. Um, So I kind of wrote like about like, here's this kid's like senior year, like, it was supposed to be so fun. And then it kind of turned into a disaster, but like get a really positive mindset about it. So it was a really positive story. That was like the one where like, I remember like professionally, like that I was able to like sit down and like actually take, you know, hours and hours and hours of time to write and like look up like, police records from like when the accident happened and things like that. So, yeah. I mean the, the first one was like hardly a feature. It was more just kind of like a notebook about this kid. But um, yeah, the, the, the longer one was about that high school kid and, um, you know, that's, that's the one, that was the first one that I remember.
0: I ah, got deep, man. I know it was a crazy story, and, man. I felt bad. Nathan kid. old and coming in with the deep stuff off the top, man. I feel bad. I hope that guy gets doing all right though. I hope he
2: is too. You
0: know, that's a, that's a lot to go through. One last question here. We don't talk about the fans that often, but I, I thought this was an interesting one just cause it got brought up after week one from the five Oh two. Is the media fair on OSU fans? Kirk Herbstreit's comments after week one concerning the lunatic friends, OSU fans are in question. He alluded to recruits not wanting to play here because of this. My question is, do other teams not have the same type of fans also? What are Alabama's fans saying, Oklahoma fans the past few years? Clemson. I bet this is the same everywhere, but we get the national exposure in a negative way. To me, this is not very fair, and it and I hope it does not affect our recruiting. Shame on Herb Street for drawing the negative attention to OSU. So that was kind of a rant and a question. And I'll go first here because the uh, the root of the question here is, does the small 15% of fan bases, which can sometimes get a little far left and far right in how they think about things sometimes and take things off the edge, does that ever impact recruiting and whether or not a 16 or 17-year-old kid wants to come to a school, whether it's Ohio State's 15 percent, Alabama's 15 percent, Texas is 15 percent, everybody's 15 percent. The answer is no, because a lot of these kids are used to the 15 percent by the time they get on campus because they're teenagers living on social media. I'm going to use Jeremiah Smith as an example. (laughs) I've had this conversation with a bunch of people around Jeremiah Smith, and I've asked all of them does he ever get sick and tired of having the entire world talk about him every single time he does the smallest thing? And they all give me the same answer. Well, if he was actually sick and tired of it, he'd stop doing these things that would get everybody up in a in a row. So it's – they're teenagers. They like the attention, whether it's good or bad. And now when they get on campus, like when you talk about a guy like Travion Henderson – who probably at war on him last year because people didn't know what was actually going on with him. That's how we got to a point that by December, he's telling everybody exactly what his injury is. That can't happen, yes, because we're all human beings. But for a lot of the times, for these highly rated guys who are going to these elite high level uh, programs, they're used to the craziness already. So it's not, whether it's Kirk Herbstreak saying something that or anybody else who has that idea, most of these recruits don't care about that. They care about, can you help me get to the NFL and can you help me have a good life after I'm done with the NFL? Everything outside of that just kind of comes with being a five-star top 100, top 50 recruit. Who's going to schools like this, Nathan, any thoughts or,
1: well, again, I think it's not only are they used to it, but like you said, it's, they hear it from all the major fan bases. I think that there's an element everywhere of people who take it a little too far. Unfortunately, yeah, I think that's something that they've just had to, to come to deal with. And you can even be in its own weird way. You can you can spin it positively. If you're Ohio State, you can be like, yeah, like, you know, because our fans really care because the standards really are that high here because we, we you know we're supposed to win national championships, not just win the division of your conference like, you know, they some other places. So it's like I think Kirk Herbstreet was probably a little bit incorrect. In insinuating that Ohio State is like actively losing multiple prospects because of of this thing, I would I would say that there are probably on field things that still need to be a bigger concern than than something like this. It's also something that I think that people uh, prospects should know that it's not like Ohio State really has control over this. This is just part of society now, and you're going to deal with this. You're you're stepping into a spotlight either way, so. It's, it's part of it probably better off just shutting off social media and trying to avoid it if you can um you know every uh, to go back to the ap poll like i would wake up every sunday as an ap poll voter or not usually wake up it would happen later that afternoon or evening or the next morning but you know the person that you didn't rank as high as everybody else ranked that means you're an idiot so there's just a bunch of rant, anonymous people telling you how much of an idiot you are in your inbox or on twitter or in emails and uh it didn't affect me that much because a it doesn't matter but also b that's just part of it you're 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 welcoming that you're welcoming criticism by doing this to some extent so not a best analogy because uh, being an ap voter isn't earned the way that being a college athlete is uh but i don't think i think kirk hersey is probably wrong a little bit that it's something that's actively affecting uh, he he's he can speak from about Ohio State's fan base, a little bit differently, I suppose, because he's experienced it himself. He still mm-hmm. has connections to this program that are different than connections he has to other programs. I get it, but the idea that—I mean—you could have swapped the name Ohio State out of what he said and slipped in any number of other teams, and it would still been just as accurate.
0: Yeah, I can speak as someone who used to vote in the AP basketball um, poll. There is nothing more humbling than putting Purdue four spots lower than where Purdue fans think Purdue should be. And then having your Twitter overrun with Purdue people and being the public enemy number one of that fan base. It's no fun, but it comes with the territory. Andrew, you're stepping into this. And this is, this this is a recruiting question. It's a recruiting question. That's why I wanted to include it here. Early reactions to what you see in terms of how people react to recruiting news, even if it's something as simple as, Jeremiah Smith is at Florida today watching practice.
2: Uh, well, I think a lot of it's overreaction. Um, I, I remember very early on in my tenure here, whatever you want to call it, I started out on the beat, and the first, the first time Stephen and I ever spoke was when we did the podcast where Kingston Villiamuasa committed to Notre Dame. And the texts that were coming in and the tweets that I was reading that day Ohio State needs to fire Jim Knowles. Ohio State isn't doing this. They're not recruiting the right kids. They're not They're not doing this. They're not doing that. Oh, God, Notre Dame's gaining ground on us. They're going to be better than us in two years, Marcus. Why didn't we hire – why didn't we try to hire Marcus? Like, it was a mess, and I was like – it's one kid <laughs> like and I understand that for for the fans that are you know probably you know very mad that I just said that they're look they're they're like no no it's not just one kid it, it's a culmination and I get that um, but you do kind of recognize that like you get a kid and all of a sudden hey Ohio State signs the 312th ranked player in the country and oh hey oh man look, we we just got the hidden gem of the 2024 class. We just got the greatest guy in the world. And then Michigan signs the 301 ranked player who's like a receiver or something. And it's like, what a poverty program. They can't even get top 250, whatever. So it, it's just kind of very funny to see like how people kind of spin and twist things in their own way. And I don't mean that to say it's a just Ohio State. I think that's kind of Nathan's point. Uh, it's Alabama. It's Texas. It's Notre Dame. It's Michigan. It's like Michigan's saying the same thing. Like if Michigan – pulls a kid out of Ohio it's oh man we're stealing Ohio and Ohio State's freaking out and then Ohio State steals like like if Ohio State had signed you know know, Dante Moore or something like that last year from Detroit everybody oh man they took the kid out of Michigan that's crazy like I don't know I, I think a lot of it is kind of overreaction especially considering that until especially in today's kind of recruiting landscape uh it's nothing's really official until pen meets paper like I mean I think that there's kind of a lot of you know uncertainty just like Ohio State is like I think 22 in their 2024 class and there's still a lot of uncertainty because we haven't hit signing day yet so you gotta kind of you gotta kind of wait until you until you reach the finish line to kind of take a a firm look and kind of give some perspective but yeah it's a lot of overreaction I know that's recruiting everywhere um but it is kind of uh sometimes humorous to see like You know, they lose one, you know, you could have a great month like Ohio State did in July, and then all of a sudden you lose Kingston, Villiamuasa, and it's like, all right, well, the program's disintegrating. It's like, that's, all right, calm down. It's, they're fine. But, you know, again, it's, uh, it is, the overreactions do kind of make me laugh, not just from Ohio State, from USC, from Tech, from wherever.
1: Uh, The other thing to remember, too, I, I have to remind myself this sometimes, because, Again, as I was covering sports in the you know the Stone Ages, uh, before the internet <laughs> was a thing at all. Before, so I didn't grow up like it's all been things I've adapted to over the course of my life. Whereas spring chickens like you guys, you Lived are much yeah. more. It's just much more part of your baseline experience with life, and that's mm-hmm. even more true about this the next generation that's coming, and they also know that you know who else says like really kind of like outrageous and stupid things online. Sometimes kids like <laughs> teenage kids, <laughs> like I can remember when I was covering basketball and I had tweet deck um, and I was at a basketball game back when you could get tweet deck for free. And all, right. all of a sudden just in my timeline, cause I had like a recruiting tab and all of a sudden in my timeline, I just see all these, let's say videos of inappropriate content start just like popping up and people are sitting behind me, like, the crowd is sitting behind me, so all of a sudden, there's, like, very inappropriate things on my computer screen, and I had to be like, wow, what's going on, and it was all stuff that was being tweeted out by a college, like, a major college basketball prospect, and I was like, (laughs) so I have to, like, go in and, like, quickly, like, unfollow that guy and, like, reset my screen so, like, I'm not, don't look like I'm the one watching this stuff, and, like, and programs take notice of that, like when when the way that people carry themselves online too. Uh, now, this guy, I think, from what I remember, was I don't remember exactly who it was, but I think it was a level of recruit enough that probably anything he tweeted wasn't going to dissuade teams from recruiting him. But uh,
2: it's but it's still I think again, it,
1: yeah, it, <laughs> well, this was basketball. Tate was Tate was a lot <laughs> of things, but he was not a Division <laughs> One Big Ten basketball talent. So yeah. um, I, I just I I think. I think Herb Street was, I understand where he was coming from. I think he was probably, as an Ohio State person, still at his heart, probably felt the need to stand up for the more sensible approach to say one game or two games or this, this point of the season where they're figuring some things out is not the basis on which to judge everything. Let let's let's take a breath and see, you know, uh, you know, recognize the things that deserve real conversation, as I think we have on this podcast a lot. Talk about the offensive line. Talk about what's going on with the defense. Talk about how Ryan Day has handled some things and how he's talking about some things and how things are going to work going forward. I think that's all fair to do. But it's, the, it's, those, it's those knee-jerk emotional reactions, and they show up the most on social media that I think he felt the need to push back on. But I just don't think it's worse at Ohio State than it is at a lot of other places.
0: No, it's not. And just to wrap up this conversation, a lot of these kids understand that Twitter is not real, not a real place. And there's a very small faction of the people who are going to be cheering for you if you come to a school who live in that space. And they understand that, and so they use it, I mean, especially in this NIL world where you gotta be on it and you gotta build your brand, that's what a lot of these kids are using social media for. And these kids are smart. They understand how to use social media but not get so consumed by it that they're getting so consumed by it that they think I can't go there because the fan base might yell at me if I fumble or I drop a pass. So that'll wrap this up, this big pod. I thought that was fun and entertaining. We had a little bit of everything. We had a conversation about the fans. We had a football conversation. We learned eating habits when it comes to bagels, and we learned about each other's, you know, past. Some of our past a little older than others, but you know, we'll continue to allow Nathan to live on and trudge on as the veteran here. So that wrap things up. On. We'll be. Leaving. You're not. You're not
1: putting <laughs> down the elderly. I appreciate. No, no,
0: no, no, no. We're, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not discriminatory against age over here on Buckeye Talk. As you're listening – well, actually, this is Thursday. As you're listening to this, we're listening to the radio, listening to Ryan Day give his radio show, and then we're talking with Ryan Day for his lightning round. So sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. Everything that we hear from the show, everything we hear from the lightning round to your phone first before we do anything else about it. And then Friday, that's Game Preview Pod, where we talk Ohio State versus Western Kentucky As far as the rapid fire, we did get a Western Kentucky question, but I thought it probably served best to lead off that Friday pod. So we'll find out what that is on Friday. I'll say we'll play Western Kentucky on Saturday at 4 o'clock at home. For Nathan Baird and for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.